0: Good morning. How are you? The Lord bless you today. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 13. But I just want to uh, make the point again uh, for the announcements that if you have any questions at all uh, regarding health insurance, and this, is, this isn't just for Medicare, uh, we have heard, because uh, Pat LaBbera, who comes, is actually a doctor, he's a medical doctor. And he's also a missionary, and he uses this to support his, his mission work uh, in, in uh, I believe it's, uh, it's not Russia, but it's, uh, where is it? Ukraine. Ukraine. And uh, he does a great job, and we've heard this time and time again, how much money he has saved people. So uh, if you want to attend that meeting, you don't have to use him, but uh, it's, he's, being a medical doctor, he has some incredible insights about insurance, and so uh, if, if you've got any questions or maybe you feel like you're paying a little too much money, you might want to attend that meeting. Okay, Acts chapter 13, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the tetriarch, uh, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, or to Paphos, excuse me, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, who was a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. That would be the son of Jesus. Uh, And who uh, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, and so his name is translated, that's actually Arabic, uh, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And then Saul, who who is also called Paul, that's a first here actually, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, looking intently at him, And he said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Paul, tell us what you really think. (laughs) Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand, and the proconsul uh, believed, and when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And now Paul and now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So Lord, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, as we uh, were singing a moment ago, what a privilege, what an honor we have to follow you, Lord, our King, our, our Master, Lord, uh, our Lord and Savior. And how we praise you! I thank you for those who are here today. And Lord, I pray that as we consider these things, that you would just be, as always, Lord, taking your word, taking your truth, Father, speaking. Lord, into our lives, we thank you that whenever we open the Bible, Lord, there's always something relevant, always something that pertains to some circumstance or situation, something always applicable. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, and we call upon your blessed Holy Spirit that you would be our teacher today, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, uh, instruction and understanding. Lord, thank you that uh, you, you and you alone, as Joe was praying, we have, you have the words of life. Lord, where, where else could we go? Lord, uh, we, we've tasted of the world. And Lord, we have experienced that bitterness. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us unto yourself. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray, Father, as we, we just speak of these things, that you'd make them life to us. Uh, give us insight, Lord. And give us, we pray, uh, uh, understanding, Lord. Your your truth is is wisdom so far above, Lord, the wisdom of this world. And so, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, as we have uh, traveled this far in the Book of Acts with the early church, um, you know God, we see how God, has, the Holy Spirit, has stirred things up. You know, in Jerusalem. Uh, to get them motivated now here in Antioch, which is Syria, and this is uh, Syria, rather, uh, this is where basically this is the first real plant of of a sort of a headquarters almost as, as God moved the church from Jerusalem, uh, not totally but uh, moving them out and it seems to be they settled there in Antioch, which is somewhere about three hundred miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, and this becomes the place where they launch, where they, where they launch out. And that's what God has been preparing. He's been preparing that for them. Uh, you know, so many things in our life we don't realize. They, you know, sometimes trials and circumstances and situations, they're preparation. They're preparation for something that God is going to do, something that he's working, you know, in our life and in our particular situation. And so he's getting them ready for the big launch, even though perhaps they're not fully aware of it. And we realize that as we open up because that's why they're praying. That's why they're seeking the Lord. Uh, They're wanting guidance. They're wanting direction. And one thing that we see here kind of reminds me of David. David said, my expectation is of the Lord. Uh, The early church, you know, they had just an expectation, you know, of what something that God was going to do relative to their prayers and relative to evangelism and seeing people. One of the things that, you know, we're hopeful and expectant of uh, is reviving. Uh, the church in a, in a national kind of a way. Uh, we don't know if the Lord's going to do that, but but we certainly are hopeful that he would do something of that nature, because uh, one of the things that uh, David was saying here last week, uh, our brother here, uh, he lives uh, just outside Philadelphia, but uh, being, a, being from Pakistan and so forth, he goes back uh, about five to six months every year, and one of the things that's really on his heart, uh, and you could tell from his message last week, was the fact that he feels that the church in America is asleep, and I have to uh, fully agree with him on that. It doesn't mean everybody's asleep, but it needs to, there needs to be sort of an awakening. And you know, we the, the hear about that uh, in in church history. You know, the, we've had uh, three awakenings. You know, in America, where God's spirit was just kind of poured out in a fresh new way, bringing revival. Um, and whenever God revives His people, the overflow of that is always evangelization. And when there's evangelization in a, in a um, massive kind of way like that, there's the impact of the conversion of the society and the impact you know, of the, that in the society, how it changes things. And as you look back and study, you know, sometimes we never see that as we study maybe perhaps secular history. When we look back at church history, we see how God has wonderfully poured out his spirit and when he does that, it has an impact, a direct impact on the culture, on the society, and it brings wonderful change. So these guys here, they are possessed with a real vibrant kind of faith. Um, they want to communicate that to other people. And it's interesting, too, when you think about faith, you know, uh, certainly faith comes by hearing the word of God. And, uh, but also, too, that we see in, in the life of this group here, this early church group here that we see in the book of Acts, uh, their, their faith was forged in the crucible of, of difficulty and persecution and trial, and, and whatever it is that we have to g- you know go through something and I often said this that we wouldn 't just go through it but that we would grow through it and that happens because we 're trusting christ we 're trusting the Lord as we navigate through difficult waters and situations and circumstances. Uh, You know, he is the bridge over troubled water, and as we trust him and we look to him, he's going to give us the wherewithal that we need uh, and whatever it is that we need in any particular given, you know, circumstance and situation. So again, they're just simply, their faith is forged in the crucible of adversity. It's kind of like, you know, uh, God's people, (laughs) Israel of old, they're likened to a grapevine and, uh, and then Jesus would say to the church in John chapter 15, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches, kind of a thing. So we continue that kind of theme also, too, you know, within the church. But also, too, there's pruning. Um, and, and whatever there's pruning, in this, this group here, they have been severely pruned back. I was watching a man yesterday uh, as I was going down the road, and he was pruning all his bushes. And this is the time of year, if, if you want to do that. And I've got a number of, I've got some I got all our rose bushes we need to cut back. We really, I really cut back my rose bushes last year, and we have never seen them so high. They are, they're about seven foot high this year, and they're really kind of almost a little rangy and out of control. Uh, but it comes because of pruning, and God uses pruning as well, you know, in our lives. Sometimes we're just sort of, we feel like we're being cut back. Um, and what's going on? Uh, there's, there's, there seems to be maybe there's seasons where there's no fruit in our life because uh, that pruning is basically designed to produce fruit in our life. And so, um, you know, the trials, the circumstances, the adversity, those things that we go through, they're from the hand of God. And he's working, you know, he's working his eternal purpose in our lives. And we don't oftentimes understand that. I think a lot of times when we're going through a, a circumstance or a trial, we're just maybe looking at the, maybe the uncomfortableness of it. Uh, the inconvenience of it. Lord, what are you doing? Uh, but he knows what he's doing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think as we come through the trial, we kind of look back. We have twenty twenty, you know, vision looking back, hindsight. And we can see what perhaps God did within the circumstance, within the trial, within the situation. Like we can here as we read, you know, these accounts here. You know, we've read them through many different times. And we can see, you know, they're in the beginning of it. You know, they're just praying, you know, that God would do something. And we see, you know, we can see here very clearly what what the Lord has done. Now, in verse 1, we are presented with the leadership in this particular group here in the church at Antioch there, and what we basically look at as the staff. And uh, uh, what we see here also, too, is there were prophets were told and teachers. And oftentimes, you know, the, and, and again, in the New Testament, there are always prophets, okay? Uh, I think that role has been pretty much... Um, uh, used, if you will, by pastors today because, again, we, it's the Word of God. Uh, we may not be a prophet in the Old Testament kind of, a, kind of a sense where they were forth-tellers, you know, prophesying the future, whereas uh, perhaps a, a New Testament prophet is a forth-teller, you know, one who speaks forth the truth, the revelation that we basically have in Scripture. And so we find a number of names here. Uh, Barnabas, remember, he's a Levite, but may have been a Kohathite, okay? may have been actual, um, you know, those who were, you know, born to Levi, you know, they had different, different things in the temple and so forth. It's very possible he may have been, may have been a priest. We don't know that. Uh, Simon, who's called Niger. Uh, the word Niger basically means black. He's a black man. Uh, Lucius, also from North America. So, yeah, North America, <laughs> North Africa, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, So we have here two Africans, and then we have Saul, who was a Pharisee and a teacher that is a rabbi. And then we have Manan, who was basically, I would say, uh, simply, he was probably, as he was brought up in the household of of Herod, he was probably a slave. Um, So it's interesting, you see, as God just putting together, I love the way God puts together groups of people. Uh, And if it wasn't for the grace of God doing that, people would probably have nothing to do with one another. Just his marvelous, wonderful grace uh, as he just sort of changes our mindset, uh, you know, the way we view people and look at people. And I think the point is here, what we see is a very diverse group of people. They're racially integrated, and it's not done by the government, okay? It's done by the Holy Spirit. God's spirit, you know, just motivating and moving and, and working. And that's one of the things that's so important that we as God's people, we're relying on the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're we're trusting the Lord. We're looking to him. You know, to many people, I'll tell you what, folks, the government is God. OK. Um, and they look for the government to make all these, you know, just to, to, to basically, you know, be our n- nursery and, and uh, you know, just kind of watch over us, you know, and, take care of us from the cradle to the grave kind of a thing. But uh, uh, that's not the kind of uh, relationship we need. We need a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because I've discovered he does a lot better, so much better than the federal government, okay? And that's why we need to be praying for our government and praying that uh, the Lord would be uh, working in their lives and saving saving them as well. So again, the Holy Spirit is at work here. Now, verse 2 may sound a little bit strange to us, and I think to maybe perhaps many Christians, because it says they ministered to the Lord. Now, what, is, what are they talking about there? Basically, they're talking about praying, fasting, and waiting on the Lord for guidance and direction. How we need to do that. How the church needs to do that. How we need to do that as private individuals, um, you know, as we're maybe making decisions. Um, we have important choices that we make in life. We need guidance. We We need direction. And, uh, and I, I've experienced this many, many, many times as we have prayed as God's people, we have sought the Lord. God has this made, made his will known um, in, in different ways. And so um, the Lord here, he uh, basically gives an answer, and it said, the Holy Spirit said. Now, we don't know exactly how, how that happened. Maybe it was prophetic utterance. We, we don't know. Uh, but, but now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them and sent them away. I wonder, did they struggle here basically with this kind of directive because why they didn't get any details? You know, a lot of times we demand answers from God. You know, we want him to give us, you know, the triptych, if you will, uh, to guide and direct us in a certain kind of way. And, uh, And you discover that you don't get it like that. And, and what is interesting here is what we see is a very important principle of faith that when God begins to speak to your life, you know, as he speaks his word to your life and to your heart uh, and tells you to just basically get moving, you know, I have discovered oftentimes the further directive or the further details come as you take a step of faith, okay, one step at a time. We don't like that, do we? We, 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 we want to know where we're going. We want to know all the particulars, all the details, because we want to make a decision whether we want to go or not. Okay? And the fact of the matter is, God just, that's why I think the Lord withholds a lot of information from us. Um, you know, because if we knew it all, if we knew what was going to take, transpire and take place, we wouldn't go. We wouldn't maybe take that step of faith. And yet we need to take steps of faith and obedience, you know, to the Lord. Um, and his ways are so different than our ways, aren't they? Uh, just as, you know, Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, his ways are higher, you know, as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are so much higher than ours, a- and as we walk in faith, we're learning his ways. We're learning what? To trust him. Uh, we've been, we started the book of Job, and I'll invite you out for that uh, on Wednesday night. It's a great study, and. Uh, and when you look at Job and what, what, what's transpired and, and taken place in this man's life, I mean, this guy is, has such an incredible serious trial like nobody we've ever known or anything that we've ever gone through. Uh, I think he's unique in that kind of way. But it's interesting, you know, that at one point in this whole situation when, when everything is murky and cloudy and unclear, and, and it seems to be God is not speaking to him, you know, directly as far as what's taking place, all the whys and the wherefores that, that Job would have, just like you and I, all these questions that we have. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I know I think about that kind of faith, man, that's sublime faith. It, it doesn't get any better than that that no matter what happens in spite of, you know, whatever trials that we have to face, that we're going to trust him no matter what takes place because we're going to discover in the Christian life we don't get oftentimes the answers that we want. And God just simply wants us to trust him and to continue to move forward, and oftentimes we move forward on limited information. Limited information. And God's in that. By saying, just trust me. It's like he says things, you know, God oftentimes he says things to us that are maybe difficult for us to process or understand or like, Lord, what's that mean? And it's, you know, John chapter six, uh, he says, I'm the bread of life. You, you, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, at the end of that chapter, it's like, it says, all, all these disciples, they're walking away. They're walking away. Why? They can't understand that. There was a spiritual application to that. He was basically speaking of, you know, like the, the scripture says you know, in the Psalms, you know, something in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's basically speaking about partaking him uh, to a ver- in a very intimate, deep kind of way. And it says at the end of John chapter 6, many of his disciples were offended in what he said. And they began to walk away. And, and what surprises me is Jesus doesn't stop them. He doesn't stop. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You didn't understand me. Let me clarify that point. That's what I would say. Because I'm weak and puny, okay? That's what I would say. Because I'd be afraid of losing the crowd, all right? Probably like maybe many pastors who were honest about it. But he lets them walk away. And he turns to the disciples and says, to, P- to Peter and the, the gangler, will you also go away? Question mark. We- will you also go away? And I always love the answer of Peter because it's the, it's the perfect answer. Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And you come to realize that no matter what he may say, you know, when there's true faith in your heart and your life, no matter what he may, the, the circumstance may be uh, or, or the things that, that uh, you may read in the Bible, because a lot of times people, you know, when they, when they come to certain circumstances and trials and situations or things that they may read in the Bible, man, their faith just kind of hits a wall. So, well, what are we going to do? We're going to cash in. We're going to give up. <laughs> no, we're going to trust. We're going to, we're going to continue. And here's what I discovered: there's a lot of things in the Christian life that you just simply you wrestle through and you, you don't understand presently. But I've I, 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 I've seen this also too, that as we continue on with Him, how He has a way of giving us insight about those things that we were struggling with. It, he has a way of, of, of uh, speaking into our hearts and lives relative to something that was, you know, so dark and murky for us. And, and we get insight on that later. And, and God, I think, just sort of waits to see, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? we Are just going to get mad at him? Because there's circumstances, situations happening in my life that I, you know, I, I can't process. I can't, I can't figure that out. I can't. And there's a lot of things you just simply can't figure out. And I think faith is the greater reality. I think faith is always the greater reality because it's going to trust him. Like Job said, though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to look to to him. Now, as as we look at verse 4, I I think this is a very important ingredient that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit, Not, not just the church. But basically, the church was in agreement with what God was doing, and the Holy Spirit was basically directing there uh, and simply guiding in, in that particular situation. And I think also, too, that maybe perhaps maybe be a question that we need to ask ourselves, you know, is the Holy Spirit involved in our decision-making? Or we just assume that? Do we really pray that, Lord? Would you direct and guide I think sometimes Christians can make very important decisions and just sort of make them by the seat of the pants. They don't really have clarity or guidance and direction. You know, do you ever hear the expression, you know, someone say, well, I'm really waiting for a word from the Lord. I think you need to do that. I think there's important decisions that we need to wait for just a word from the Lord as, as simply, you know, we're waiting on him, praying, trusting, and all of a sudden you're reading your Bible and that word of God just comes to your heart, comes to your life. And you never know. You never know when that's going to happen. And, and it's happened to me so many times, it seems like, you know, the word of God just sort of jumps off the page. You know, God's word has been it becomes so pertinent in that situation, relevant to, to, to the situation that you uh, are working through. So we find here that they sail to Cyprus. Uh, Cyprus was their go-to place for vacation palm trees, you know, just sort of a nice place, and and I imagine, I imagine, too, that maybe it could have been that John Mark was kind of romanticizing it, you know. Um, I, I've taken, I was a mission pastor for a number of years, and, and I've taken a number of teams over the years to different places, China, Europe, and things of that particular nature, and, and, uh, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, there can be that romanticizing thing. It's like, you know, uh, we're going on this mission and we're going on this, you know, it's a vacation. <laughs> it's not a vacation. <laughs> it's a working vacation. And uh, and I've seen sometimes, you know, some attitudes and things come out, you know, on, on short-term missions because, you know, the saints are all together and they're working hard and maybe um, – Things aren't working out the way that maybe they anticipated, or you know, certain expectations that we can have, and all of a sudden, you know, attitudes come out and things of that particular nature. And uh, and I just kind of wonder if that was the case, maybe you know, with John Mark. You know, foreign travel, Ooh. see new places, meet new people. Ooh. Wow, it sounds like so much fun. I'm going to take my Nikon, and we're going to have a great time there. And uh, but it wasn't the case. As we're going to see here, now, as we look at Paul also too, in this situation, he, he's been in the the shadow the shadows for many years. Uh, this is probably about fifteen years out roughly from his um, conversion there in Damascus and uh, And we see interestingly what God spoke uh, about him. Uh, as the Lord was speaking there to uh, Ananias, remember Ananias was maybe a leadership leader in the leadership uh, of that church and, and told uh, him to go pray for, uh, for, for, for Saul, the hitman, and uh, he didn't want to do that. And basically, um, the Lord says to him, he says, uh, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And I kind of wonder... No doubt uh, Ananias told that to, to, to Saul after he was converted, and they prayed, ha- laid hands on Saul, and he received the Holy Spirit, and I'm sure Ananias communicated to him, you know, here's what the Lord said to me about you, Paul. You, you know, you're, you're going to bear his name before the, for Gentiles and kings and, and uh, the children of Israel. And, and I imagine, too, in that waiting period, uh, you know, Paul's thinking, well, Lord, when's that going to happen? You know, but the thing is, too, whenever we're waiting on the Lord, and, and oftentimes we can wait on the Lord sometimes for years uh, about different things to transpire, and to take place, they're, they're preparation. They're, they're preparation, basically, you know, the trials, the prayers, the waiting, all those things are basically preparation. Because I believe that if, you know, if we're truly a child of God, if we're born again by the Spirit of God, God's got something for you. Do you believe that? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think so. Not me. you got to stop being an Eeyore, okay? God's got something for you. He, he's filled you with his Holy Spirit. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. I, I don't know what that is for you. I think one of the big questions for all of us when we come to Christ is, you know, oh, oh, Lord, what are you going to do with my life now? Lord, Lord, where do we go from here? Um, I can remember having those questions um, in, in high school, actually, uh, and graduating from high school, and you know, kind of launching out and so forth. Uh, you know, what, what what's, what, you know, what is, what, what's the plan for my life? I think many people, you know, ask that question, and then life, you know, always seems like it throws a uh, whole bunch of curveballs, and you know, and then people become sort of, you know cynical and jaded about life, you know, there's, there's, you know, life is full of, uh, you know, disappointments and and setbacks, and it doesn't take much for us to, you know, we see sometimes the aspirations uh, of youth, and we've all had them, and then as you begin to just sort of navigate through life, uh, those, those hopes and aspirations, they can kind of fade away, but I believe that when we come to Christ, that's when we really need to have a sense of expectation, uh, of, of Lord, you know, but that's a, isn't that what Saul said uh, on Damascus Road? Lord, what would you have me to do? Huh. And, and he's been waiting. He's been waiting. Maybe, maybe that speaks of you. And I think in a sense, I really think in a sense, we're all waiting, aren't we? We're all waiting for something. Life is a series of waiting periods, isn't it? You can't wait to get out of school. You can't wait to graduate. You can't wait to get on with your life. you can't wait to find a good job and a career. You just can't wait to find that person, uh, you know, that special person that you're going to spend your life or, with, or whatever the case may be, and then you can't wait to get that house, and you can't wait, you know, to have that family. and it just it's, it's, life is just a series of all these different things of just simply we're waiting. We're always waiting for something. But what is most important of all things? Like these guys here, they're waiting on the Lord. They're ministering to the Lord. And that's what, that's what we need to do as well. We need to get to know him as close as we possibly can, as intimate as we can, to spend time with him. Because that's going to be, that, that is the preparation. That, that is the preparation. Because when, you draw, when we draw close to the Lord, then we're able, you know, basically to, to hear his voice Now, as we look at verse 6 here, all this time, uh, you know, as the the church is launching out and and, and planning, you know, their outreach and so forth, um, the devil's waiting. He's always waiting for some kind of opportunity. He's waiting in the wings because he always wants to turn us away, the church away, from doing the will of God. That's his job, okay? he, He has never ceased um to to you know in 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 his attempts to frustrate the church and the work of God because that's all he that's all he wants to do that's all that's his whole purpose and mission is to disrupt the things of God because of his deep hatred for God for the things of God and for the people of God and it says here uh, when they arrive um, um and they get to this this city here of Paphos uh they find a a certain sorcerer uh, we're told he was a, a, a false prophet. Uh, his name was Son of Jesus. Uh, you know, remember, remember the Lord said, many will come in my name. And that's what I think this is. I don't think it's just the, the fact that he's named. Uh, and, of course, you know, that was a popular name. We talk about the name Jesus. That's the, the Greek version of it. The Hebrew version would be Joshua. Or if you go in English, and if we would you know, go into Hebrew, it would be Yahshua, and, uh, which, was a, which was really a common name. Um, But it's become uncommon, the word Jesus has become uncommon for us because uh, of the Christianization of of nations and all that, not too many people want to take on, you know, that particular name. There are certain names that people don't want to take on, you know, like uh, Judas. Who wants to take on the name Judas? You know, nobody wants to take on that name. Uh, Jezebel, who wants to take on the name Jezebel or Ahab or whatever the case may be. And so there's certain names that have a, a, a sort of a connotation. But the Lord said many will come, not just in the, you know, in his name. That just doesn't mean the name of Jesus, but they will try to come and replicate, you know, his ministry and his work. But it's a deceptive kind of thing. You know, Paul says later that, you know, that the devil comes as an angel of light. He, he comes as an angel of light, uh, basically to deceive, and over in uh, 2 Corinthians, um, he would say this, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, they were transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Uh, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according uh, to their works. And so uh, here's this guy here, and no doubt he, you know, false prophets, um, you know, we have them today. We, we have false prophets today, whether it's, you know, uh, pseudo, pseudo-Christians. Um, we see a lot of false prophets, you know, in Eastern religions and basically, there are people that try to exploit other people, take advantage of them, you know, rip them off. And, some, and oftentimes, these guys that are false prophets, they really have a satanic charisma, okay? That they have a satanic ability because uh, Satan is a great deceiver, okay? And, and these people, you know, they have, a, in a sense, a satanic anointing, if you want to call it that. Uh, and and they can be very deceptive. You know, we've seen, you know, the Jim Jones... Uh, the guy there in Waco, Texas, David Koresh. Um, over the years, you know, we've seen many of these individuals uh, that have been, you know, so so powerfully deceptive. You know, how I, I can remember when that happened, uh, you know, from uh, with Jim Jones uh, back in the '70s. I remember looking at the uh, Life magazine uh, aftermath of that situation. How do you get over what, close to 800 people? To drink Kool-Aid that's laced with cyanide? To destroy themselves? I mean, there's a powerful deception there. And and see, the only thing that's going to protect anyone from deception is truth. And the Holy Spirit is referred to as what? A spirit of truth. And that's why it's so important for you and I to get the truth in us. Okay? You know, Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I add this. truth will keep you free. And that's why we need to be continually, what, students of the word of God. Because the word of God will give us, you know, the wherewithal uh, in a a personal, everyday kind of circumstance or situation. You know, God's word. You know what? Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 17, in that great high priestly prayer the night before his crucifixion when he said this. He said, Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. So his word. We need his word and his truth within our our lives. And I've seen Christians deceive, okay? I've seen naive, unlearned Christians caught up in deception. And it's sad because it doesn't need to be. And that's why, again, that's why we put such an emphasis on the word of God, in studying the word of God, internalizing the word of God, memorizing the word of God. You know, the Scripture says in the Psalms that, you know, we need to hide it in our hearts. Hide it in our hearts. Hide it in our minds. You know, again, memorize it. Um, I know that sometimes we, we memorize certain portions of Scripture because they're kind of our favorite. Um, but I, I've discovered the value more and more of the memorization of Scripture. Uh, it just, it's illuminating. It, it's, it, it's, insp- it's inspirational. Um, you know, the, when you look at Psalm 119, Psalm 119 is is in the longest book of the Bible, and it's the longest chapter in the Bible. I think it's 167 verses, something like that. But each one of them is given over to basically just um, rejoicing in the Word of God, in the truth, and, and and one of the one of the little sections, you know, in that uh, Psalm says, thy thy word is our counselors, okay? And it's his word. His word will counsel you. It will guide you. It will come to your aid in moments when you don't even realize, you know, because you you stored it up within your heart and mind, it will come to you and inspire you and guide you in that particular situation. So verse 7 here, this guy has had control over the proconsul, which this guy was the administrator. Here's a governor, uh, Sergius Paulus, Uh, This was, you know, outside of Rome, this was one of the highest positions that you could have. And again, this here, part of a Roman colony and so forth. We're told, uh, interestingly about this guy, uh, uh, Sergius Paulus, he was an intelligent man. He was intelligent, uh, and and he called for uh, Barnabas and Saul uh, and sought to hear the word of God. But here's what we need to understand, because the world oftentimes thinks that it's just a matter of being smart or intelligent, that that's what you need to navigate through life. I'll tell you what, we need much more than that. I've seen some pretty smart people caught up in religious deception, or some other kind of deception. There's a lot of guys in prison. They're really smart guys. (laughs) They were so smart, they thought they were smarter than the system. They thought they could beat the system. But intelligence is no match for our great adversary, Satan. You see what you and I have been given. As a matter of fact, uh, what Paul speaks about over in Ephesians, he speaks about this spiritual equipment that we have to protect us. Okay, you know the helmet of salvation. You know the breastplate of, uh, you know of um, uh, righteousness, uh, the righteousness of Christ. Okay, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. You know, the, 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 the boots or the, uh, the shoes that we put on or the gospel piece that we take wherever we go. We have these things. But I'll tell you what, our intel and our wisdom is in the scriptures. Remember when Christ faced off with Satan. We have it in Luke 4, we have it in Matthew 4. And he takes, it's interesting to me, interesting to me, he takes these, he takes three scriptures out of the book of Deuteronomy. When's the last time you studied the book of Deuteronomy? That's a beautiful thing I find about the word of God. No matter where you're studying, there's something for you. Because God's word's comprehensive. Because it's his word. Remember we said, what, a week or two ago, it's alive and it's active. And and when Jesus faced off with the devil, he basically pulled out his sword, and there were three scriptures out of the book of Deuteronomy. (coughs) And he defeated the enemy. Because God's word will give you a wisdom and insight a- and power that you and I would not ordinarily have. I don't care how intelligent you are, you, you may be, you may be a genius. God bless you for it. But I'll tell you what, it's no match against our adversary. It's no match against the devil. He will take, he will, he will take the smartest guy. And in comparison with the wisdom that we have, no matter how much we have, compared to his, it's like, a, it's like an adult taking advantage of a child. But again, when you got God's Holy Spirit within, there's a discernment. There's an ability to discern and to, and to know. And discernment is one of those kind of things. It's from the Holy Spirit. Uh, that you can know something that you could not otherwise know it with your human reasoning and understanding. In other words, it's given by God. God gives you an, an ability to understand a situation. And you can, you, know, you can walk into a situation, you can walk into a situation, you can, you can detect because of that discerning of the Holy Spirit, you can detect something's wrong here. I don't know exactly maybe what it is. Have you ever had that happen to you? Many of us have, and there's that, again, that protection, you know, that blessed work of the Holy Spirit, you know, within our lives, within our hearts, giving us discernment, giving us, you know, the ability, and again, you know, our, our wisdom is in the Scripture, in the Word of God. Paul would write this in First uh, Corinthians, because we're, we're, what we're up against is the, the, the cultural mantra, Paul calls it the wisdom of the world. And and whatever generation you're in, there's a conventional wisdom for that generation. This generation, I don't know what it is. Okay? I have no idea. It's like, who's running this thing? But up to this point, there's been a, you know, a cultural mindset and conventional wisdom, as we call it. But listen to what Paul says. He says, where's the wise man? In other words, where's the scholar? Uh, Where's the scribe? Where's the writer? Uh, Where is the disputer or the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this age? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. In other words, what he's saying is that the message isn't foolish. It's the way people look at it. People look at Christianity. They look at redemption. Uh, they look at salvation. Uh, they look at the Bible. That's that's a myth. They'll say that's so foolish, and and we can actually understand that to a degree. Because before you come to Christ, you you can't you don't have any real sense of understanding of the power of salvation and redemption and, and what it does, how it changes your heart, changes your mind, changes your future. We can't appreciate that. And that's why it's sometimes very difficult for people to really commit their life to Christ because you're, you're just on the other side of it. You haven't partaken of that. But there's, a, there's a, a, an incredible grace and wisdom and, and power that, that comes into our life. And... and you know, John says over in his epistle that we can, we, can, we, can, we can know, we can know that we are saved. And I'll tell you what, uh, when I was born in 1950, everybody knew I was born in that hospital room because I was and I was screaming. My mother said that when they tried to pull me out, they put the forceps around my head and I came out all kinda, all kind of marked up in red and I was probably screaming when I came out. But you know something too? When I was born again, when I was born the second time, I knew it. I knew that I knew that I knew. Because there's a transaction that takes place between heaven and your heart. He goes on to say, For the Jews require a sign. Jewish mentality was give us a miracle. And Messiah Jesus did that. It wasn't enough. For the Western world, for the Greeks, seek after wisdom. You know, some kind of, some kind of intellectual concept. That that's what the great philosophical age was about in Greece. Everybody coming up with a new philosophy that tintillated their understanding. <laughs> but it's much more than that. For we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, he's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, he's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, Messiah, is the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, and we see that, we see that demonstrated so clearly in the scripture. So in verse 8, here, here's this guy, and uh, we're told that they, he tried to withstand, he tried again tried to control this political figure. And, and one of the things that this is a reminder of is that Satan is oftentimes, I think Satan is more at work in Washington, D.C., Paris, the Kremlin, Beijing, wherever there is political power. He is trying to get in there and get control. That's why the Bible says, Old Testament New, pray for those in a place of power. Are you praying for Mrs. Kathy Hochul? You need to. You need to. Because they're thinking about licensing prostitution that's the next thing never stops does it the immorality never stops and so he withstood <clears throat> withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from away basically from the faith and against Satan he's always looking you know the further his agenda and he uses people that's it. Satan gets a hold of people. He gets a hold of their thinking, and, and he uses them. We see that. And, uh, but Paul, you know, reminds us this, that, you know, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Um, it's bigger than that. It's, it's, it's behind the curtain, so to speak. It's demonic agencies and powers, you know, that control people, that control nations. And we have to realize, too, that, you know, we don't just get into hating somebody because, you know, they're our enemy. OK, you know, we're wasting our time, wasting our time hating other people. Uh, you, you look at, you know, so many things go on in our world today, just motivated by resentment, bitterness, you know, hate. Uh, and, you know, one thing I love about the Lord, one other thing I love about his grace is, you know what? He turns his enemies into his friends. <laughs> that's us, folks. OK, that's us. Everyone at one point or another, they're an enemy of God. They don't know it. If you would have walked up to me and you know before I was converted and said you, you're an enemy of God, you know, I don't punch you in the nose or something like that. You know, I would probably say, "Well, I don't believe in God," or probably something stupid like that. Um, but the fact that it, it is a fact, um, and and in His grace, in, in His mercy, He He reaches out. That's why you you may have an adversary in your life. Could be somebody you know that. You know very well, could be somebody that you work with, and, um, and that person is, is, is unconverted. Um, and that, you know, you pray for that person. Uh, I've seen God turn it around to such a degree that former enemies become the best of friends. He can do that. That's our God. That, that's the kind of things that He does. And Satan's always trying to divide, He's, he's the great divider. Okay, get people at one another and bitter and angry and fighting. Now, no doubt, Paul, as we see here in verse 9, uh, he has the gift and, and this ability of discernment. He, he, in other words, it, the Bible calls it the discerning of spirits, okay, to discern what's motivating someone or what's maybe motivating a, even a certain political, um, you know, power, or what's, you know, behind a certain kind of law. There's a discernment there, and Paul has this. And we're told he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's looking intently at this guy. Now, this would not happen, I think, if Paul was not filled with the Holy Spirit and in tune with God. I think it's just an overflow of that. And he said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Now, somebody may even think, Paul, you're being a little harsh here, aren't you? (laughs) I remember I was in a prayer meeting with a young guy. He's just a new convert many years ago. And he says, you know what? I think I want to pray for the devil that the Lord would save him. I said, don't waste your breath. It ain't happening, man. No conversion there. Not going to happen. When you think about the grace of God, angelic creatures, all they have to do is sin once. And are done. Because we know Satan took one third of the angelic force with him. We we know that from scripture. And because they're a higher creation and and gifted with, with incredible power and ability, one sin. One sin and they're done. They're, they're out. And look at us. Look at the grace of God to you and I. His mercy, His favor. I can't even tell you how many times I've blown it. And I'm so thankful for the grace and the mercy, the forgiveness of God. The privilege to confess and the, the, the incredible honor by God to be forgiven. We must never underestimate that. What, what a great and awesome privilege that we have. Because it's amazing when, when sin's in our life, we, we can just be so befuddled. We can be so wrong about everything. And, and you just confess. And you ask the Lord to work and forgive you. And all of a sudden, man, the clouds lifted. It's amazing how things can just go from so wrong to so right because of his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his kindness. Oh, what a kind God we have. So is he being harsh? No. Why? Satan's a liar. He's basically a murderer. He's a deceiver, and he should be given no quarter. And so... Paul says to him, you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. I think Paul, obviously, because of what he needed in his life, I think he also had the gift of miracles. No doubt about it. I mean, he's a pioneer. He's blazing a trail for the early church. I mean, I think God just, God just put every arrow, arrow in his quiver that he needed. And this is just another one of them. He says, you'll be blind not seeing the sun for a time. Immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him uh, by the hand. So, so even in that, God was merciful. He's so gracious, isn't he? Sometimes I've said about situations to my wife, Margie, I said, it's a good thing I'm not God. <laughs> you ever find yourself saying that? You know? Sometimes I want to be like an Old Testament guy in the Psalms. It was smiting Psalms. Lord, break their teeth. Lord, kick them in the hinder parts. I'm not kidding you. Sometimes I just want to. Throw down the gavel of judgment. (laughs) And like I said, it's a good thing I'm not God. The proconsul believed, and when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, man, that was an absolute biggie because of his influence. Just like that Ethiopian eunuch the treasurer for Candace of the Ethiopians, when he got saved on that road going down to Africa and Philip led him to Christ, you can be sure that the gospel was going back and and God saved a powerful man. He can do that. He can do that. I don't know if Frederick the, Frederick the Great ever came to Christ, but there was a man, the uh, Marquis d'Argens was in his court. Um, I forget why he was um, there because he was seeking amnesty or whatever the case may be from his country. And the Marquis was a Christian man. He had been witnessing to Frederick the Great. <laughs> he said, "D'Argens, give me proof of God." He said, "Your Majesty, the Jew, how God has watched over and kept." and protect this people. Tell you what, when you want to think about a proof of God, you, your life, what God has done, you know, in your heart, in your situation. And let's close this out here. Now, when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Another he bailed out. And this would cause a rift later between Barnabas and Saul, a big, big rift later. But I believe John Mark, like many today, with all good intentions, Attempt to serve in some kind of way. But who quit for different reasons. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's spiritual warfare. Maybe it' not appreciated. Maybe it just wrong expectations regarding those kinds of things. But you know I think there's a big issue here. It's an issue that not only affects John Mark, it affects everybody that wants to follow God. And this is the issue, death to self. Death to my plans. Death to the things that perhaps I may want for my life, but God doesn't want. You know, Jesus said that we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany, and Hitler put him to death, as he did many. But when somebody came and they said, we want to get involved, we want to serve, Bonhoeffer would say this: "Come and die." I guess he didn't read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Amy Karn- Carmichael was a great missionary to India. Had a tremendous effect on the children of India, the future of India. But many of you heard of Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, Her husband was Jim Elliott. He he died with the martyrs in Ecuador back in the 1950s. Well, as a young girl, she was a Christian. And uh, before Amy Carmichael died in 1951, uh, Elizabeth Elliott had an opportunity. I'm not sure if it was to speak to Amy Carmichael face-to-face or whether it was to write a letter. But considering what Jim and, and Elizabeth would do, their lives would be given to missions. And so she said to Liz, she said to Amy Carmichael, "What is it like to be a missionary?" And Amy Carmichael said this: "A chance to die." to die to self to die to the things that perhaps may seem so important to us I've seen it in so many different ways that the Christian life is sometimes a series of, of dying dying to, the, to our plans the things that we want the things that are so absolutely important to us I saw an interview with Denzel Washington just a day or two ago and he was giving his testimony. He was talking about his parents. Growing up in New York City, his parents were godly parents. And as a young person, he came to Christ. And then he talked about his whole life and here he is, you know, probably in his early 60s now maybe, late 50s, early 60s, something like that. And he confessed to the... uh, the guy who was interviewing him, who was a believer, he said, yeah, even though I came to Christ and I knew, I, I knew the Holy Spirit came into my life, I didn't want to live for him. And, and he's coming to appreciate and realize now where he is. <laughs> you know, Paul said that the cross in our life is so important. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And when we do that, because we tend to think of the cross and death to self is that I am going to miss life in a big way. And let me guarantee you this, you're going to miss nothing. Because when we make those decisions, and I think they're daily decisions, they're, they're, they're monthly decisions, they're decisions that we make through the course of the years. Are we really going to follow Jesus? Are we really going to commit ourselves to him in the fullest way that he's calling us to do that? And that may be different. That's probably that, uh, certainly that's different for each one of us. But nevertheless, there's that call. That, that call from him to commit ourselves to him. And when that happens in our lives, when we agree with that, there's a resurrection power that comes into our life, into our experience. I've discovered in my own life I want the power, but I don't want the cross. the resurrection power only comes when we allow ourselves in so many different situations, we allow ourselves to to be crucified, so to speak. Like in Philippi, Paul was beaten, beaten, put in stocks. He allowed it for the gospel's sake. And before you know it, an earthquake comes that very night. The jailer is, is saved. His whole family is saved. And a stake is driven there in Philippi because Paul and Silas were just simply willing to allow their life to be, in a manner of speaking, put to death, crucified. As we close, we want to pray And if you would like to, this morning, as we pray, to commit, surrender, yourself more fully to the Lord, I want to encourage you to stand up, and I know that takes courage. I know that takes courage. But you know, when we do this, we drive a stake in the ground. And you know what? God sees it. God sees it. So, Father, I thank you. We want to thank you first and foremost, Lord, for your cross. Lord, you hung. You hung from a tree to pay for our sin, our debt, you took our judgment. And what you give us in return You give us Yourself. You give us Your nature. You give us Your spirit. You give us eternal life. You give us Your presence and Your love. And Father, for that, we are so grateful and thankful. And in response to, Lord, Your great love, Lord, we say this morning that, Lord, we're surrendering our lives to You. And I know that means something different for each and every person here but lord you can sort that out you understand you know where we are you don't treat us father as a herd you look at us at us as individuals and you're so acutely aware of lord what's going on in our life our circumstance our situation and how i pray father that you would encourage each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, we know you respond to faith. You honor faith, and we, we thank you for that. And so, Lord, go with us, we pray. Lord, may our lives just, wherever they need to change, Lord, may they change. We want to glorify you, Lord. We want to please you, Father. We want to honor you, and I thank you for these dear souls that are here today. And how I pray, Father, your great blessing upon each and every one. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Shall we all rise?